Welcome to Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. on KOPN 89.5 FM and KOPN.org. And it's where the birds and the bees and the donkeys and the fiddles all come together. I'm your host, Margot McMillan, and we're all glad that you're here, too. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a presentation of Farm and Fiddle from January 7th, 2022. Broadcast on KOPN Community Radio 89.5 FM in Columbia, Missouri, and on the World Wide Web at KOPN.org. This podcast features an interview with Jeff Jones, cattleman from Callaway County, Missouri. Okay, well, maybe just start by telling us about your operation. Okay, my name is Jeff Jones, and I'm a fourth-generation farmer here in Callaway County. Uh, we raise registered Angus cattle. We also have alfalfa and orchard grass hay and mixed grass hay, and then we have about 1,200 acres of row crops that we uh, like to rotate our cattle through uh, after we combine it, and uh, we try real hard uh, to keep everything uh, as natural as we can. Uh, all of our products are, are raised uh, and mainly self-sustained. Uh, we like to put our uh, grain and our alfalfa back through our cattle. Um, our fertilizer is what we raise here. The m- most of it is. Uh, we uh, compost uh, the manure and then put that back to the ground. Uh, we like to rotationally graze. Um, we try hard to use all non-GMO products and uh, very little chemical and uh, the cattle are basically uh, the same thing as uh, raised organic, but we're not certified as organic, but we try to do everything as natural as we can. My grandfather uh, started us in the registered Angus business when my dad was nine years old back in 1949. So we've had registered Angus cattle for, for many years. Uh, my grandmother's farm, uh, it dates back to the year of 1850 that our family has been on that farm. So we feel very blessed to be there that long. Um, the old house is still standing and my, uh, sister lives there now and it was built in 1894. And that's the same house that my grandmother was born in and, and she passed away in when she was 98 years old. And, uh, I'm very blessed that, uh, my family, uh, gets to help me, uh, Every day in this operation, I have a brother and a sister. Uh, my brother's a doctor, and, and uh, my sister's a retired lawyer, and, and they have interest in the farm and uh, farms and, and help us, and, and the cattle also. And then my dad works with me every day, and, and my son, Cody. And then I have three daughters that also have an interest in agriculture. So uh, we have uh, uh, a lot of help here on the farm and a lot of interest to make sure that the next generation uh, gets the same opportunities that we do. Wow, that's that's a mouthful, and it's. Uh, I hope you're right about those same opportunities. That's that's what I'm hoping to. So, um, I guess 
I guess we should talk about the cattle because I the reason I called you especially was that you know we've been reading about the cattle market right now. Right. Um, and it sounds like much of your grain goes into the cattle. So the would you say the cattle are your final product the, most of the time? Or? They are, and, and we don't put a lot of grain into these cattle. We mm -hmm. we give them a little bit of grain, but they're ninety two percent all uh, forage based, and uh, so. Um, we do raise a little bit of milo and barley and wheat and soybeans that uh, some of that goes back through our livestock, but you said it right. Our, our livestock is our mainstay. Yeah. So what I've been hearing about the cattle market is that it's kind of rigged. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but, um, but what are you finding and, and maybe a little bit of historical perspective, what it used to be like too. So I, I think you used the right word. Um, we try hard uh, to sell our cattle private treaty off the farm. Uh, anytime you're at the mercy of a gavel, um, it is going to be a challenge to end up with what your product is worth. So private treaty means like person to person, like you find a buyer that wants a bull. That's correct, yes. Uh, but to look back back up here the history a little bit, um, the black cattle have had a very good demand, and being in the seed stock business, that's the way we've able to sell most of our livestock is private treaty. Mm -hmm. But it has been such a challenge in the past to say stay afloat, stay self-sustained, stay profitable, and and stay competitive with what's going on and the changes that, that's come upon us. Um, there's a tremendous amount of producers that have gone out of business uh, in, in the last 40 to 50 years. And it's because the increase of our overhead has gone up much higher than what our product has gone up. Mm -hmm. And so it, it has made it very hard to stay afloat in this business. I have a lot of neighbors and friends and even family that no longer raise cattle because of the issues that I just spoke of. And it makes it, um, we got to have a very creative mind and, and we got to work hard at it every day. And, and we've been very blessed to, to still be here to help others. Um, one thing that has hurt us so bad is you mentioned it's kind of rigged. Uh, the four packers, uh, there's four big packers that uh, they, they actually run, I think there's 85% of all the beef. And those packers are uh, JBS, which is owned by Brazil, and then Tyson and Cargill and National Beef. And these four packers uh, control 85% of all the beef. And now that makes it a challenge because that's a monopoly on what's going on. And we've got to try to compete with that. And what they have done and you mentioned the word rigged, and I think you said it right. Uh, they have made it, these packers have made it uh, very easy for imports to come in here uh, and compete with what we're trying to do as uh, healthy uh, products that are self-sustained and not damaging our environment, but making our environment better and, and also very nutritious and healthy for our consumers. And now we're trying to compete with Brazil and Mexico, for example, are the two largest importers uh, into the United States. And there used to be 
what they call a cool country of origin labeling. And it was a law that every product sold had to have its country of origin labeled on the package. Well, it was lobbied and that law was lifted and the biggest backers of this was the four packers because they could get imported meat cheap because it was raised under very uh, low standards and if it was shipped in to the United States and processed in the United States, then it was considered a United States product. That is wrong. That is not right. But when they got rid of country of origin labeling, they made that legal. And these four packers have just dominated during this time frame. So, as I understand it, if you go to the grocery store, you might see a package of meat that says made in USA. But that doesn't mean it was raised here by a farmer. It might have been processed by cut up, I guess. Is that, that is correct. You said that exactly right. Yes, and, and, and that's wrong because their standards in Brazil and Mexico are quite different than what they are here in the United States. And so they're bringing in a less quality product with lower standards and competing with what the producer here in the United States is doing. And that's what's made it so hard. And many of the producers have gone bankrupt, gone out of business because they're trying to compete against this unfair law. Wow. Well, um, so what can be done? So that's a good question. <laughs> uh, years ago, there was a law called, uh, and it was passed, and it's still in effect today, it's called the Packers Stockyard Act. And what's frustrating to me is this law is still in existence, but yet it's not being enforced. This law did not allow the Packers to own animals. But since it's not enforced, there's over 85% of all the beef being handled is owned by these four packers. And the largest feedlot operator in the United States now is owned by JBS, which is one of the main packers. That's a Brazilian company. As these foreign countries start buying in and owning our land and our food supply, that is wrong. People have fought battles and bled and died to defend the United States to keep things like this from happening. And now we're seeing it happen every day. There's got to be accountability to this. You know, it doesn't even sound possible, Jeff. I mean, I know that you're telling me the truth, but it just doesn't even sound possible that this could have happened in, in my lifetime because I know that when I was growing up, well, everybody had hogs, everybody had had beef, and um, you went, you took it to the to the sale barn, this this barn, and you sold it, and then it went to a packer from there. So nowadays, you're saying the packers actually own it. Where do they buy it from the feedlot, or do they? Yes, they as they get control of the feedlots, then they're owning the animals before processing. And what you said, Margot, is exactly right. Also. Years ago, um, not that many years ago, 35, 40 years ago, there was hogs that were range-fed on the dirt 
on almost every farm up and down these roads. We owned hogs and, and, and did the same thing, and it was profitable. They they were actually called uh, the mortgage payers <laughs> and because they would turn money, you know, every three to four months, and so everybody had hogs. But what happened as these packers gained more control, they controlled the market, and they made it not profitable to have these hogs. And I can remember in my lifetime that there were hogs actually turned out because the people couldn't afford to feed them. I never thought in my lifetime that they could run the hogs out of the Ozarks. That was one of the best, cleanest places to have hogs, and they had hogs all over the countryside. That was just a way for them to make money. But when they took the markets away from them, then the incentive to raise these hogs went to the hands of the few. And now we've got large concentrated animal feeding operations feeding these hogs that are owned, a lot of them, um, by foreign countries or uh, anonymous investors who don't want to claim where their money's coming from, which we've got a good idea where that is. Uh, and so they've made it uh, almost impossible to compete with anything like that. Well, there's a couple of bills working their way through Congress right now, and a couple a couple of resolutions in Missouri. I guess they can't Missouri can't really make the laws on it on a statewide level. But do you see any hope in any of that? Well, well I I'm an eternal optimist, so yes, I always <laughs> think there's a way, and we have seen the way, but we allowed it to be destroyed. So if we can remember what we learned and not have to relearn it the second time, then we ought to be able to come up with solutions uh, to be able to raise a good product in a environmental friendly way that's healthy and nutritious to our consumers. And, you know, to, to make good decisions, we got to remember what we learned. And one of the things years ago, the grocery stores all had uh, butchers. They had places where they would bring in whole carcasses and they'd have the butchers process and break these down to certain cuts. And these grocery stores made money by doing this. If you go into the grocery store right now and look at the beef prices, there's such a sticker shock. And I've had a lot of people say, well, the producer's making that money, right? No, that is not right. The producer is raising this product at a bare minimum, and the packers are the ones that's marking this up that's making the big money. Uh, to, to kind of give you an idea uh, of uh, what was going on right now, uh, the Packers are going to be making approximately $600 a head on every animal that they process because what they're doing, instead of selling the carcasses to the grocery stores, they're processing them in their plant, breaking them all the way down uh, to certain cuts. And so that's taking the money away from the grocery stores the way that they used to have the butchers would, would cut them up and it and it's putting more money in, in the hands of the packer. And that, that's just not not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um well I guess I guess you've said it all that I I don't know. Is there anything else we should know? And well the thing that bothers me is you were talking about the legislation, and, and there's room for places to be fixed here. They, they've got to enforce the Packers Stockyard Act. They've got to be able to level the playing field. And, and if there's government money being put out there instead of funneling it all to the large corporations and the concentrated animal feeding operations, they need to level the playing field so that the funds are going to be uh, fair for everybody to compete with. You know, 
to have a capitalistic society correctly uh, developed, there's got to be good competition that is fair to everybody. And that's not the way it is right now. The, the table is tilted more uh, toward the corporations and, and the large uh, operators like that. And, and it's frustrating because the meat processors, they're making an all-time high profits right now. And uh, from 2012 to 2018, I think their gross profit has jumped from 6% to 14.5% and even higher uh, during the pandemic. And uh, that's all the time while the producer's uh, profit margin is going down and, and actually uh, are, are standing losses. And that, that's not right. We've got to correct this for the producers to be able to stay in business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I do hope that they'll put country of origin labeling back in real soon. I think that helps level the playing field. I've, I've heard talk about that. Um, but until they get that in there and, and they don't allow Brazil and Mexico to come in here uh, and, and have the upper hand, um, that just needs to be fixed very, very soon. And, you know, we're talking about beef, but it, it's the same way with uh, pork and, and uh, Smithfield there. Uh, coming out of China and, and owning land and, and uh, these large CAFOs and, and, and chickens also. You know, I talked to Brian Smith last week and from Missouri Rural Crisis Center, and he said there is a resolution that's going to be introduced at the legislature to put country of origin labeling back in. Awesome. But here's the catch. Um, Missouri can't do it by itself. So basically the resolution says to the feds, we want this. And so if other states, if many states will pass that, then maybe our federal lawmakers will get, you know, get the idea and do something about it. Well, that, that's encouraging. That, that's yeah. a bright light because that, I, I believe, will, will go like wildfire. There, there's, you know, a, a lot of good organizations that have been talking to deaf ears at the legislation and well, this resolution maybe will go upon some ears that will be open and, and maybe take this and run with it because I know this is not just Missouri. This is the entire United States. And as we band together, there's always going to be strength in numbers because united we stand. Yeah, amen. Well, you know, there's one other thing um, that, that Brian told me about that you'll be glad to hear. You know, a few years ago, the law was changed so that foreign corporations could own Missouri farmland. Yes. And then it was even made more difficult to find out who had bought what by, by there was some other, uh, some other little niche put in there. And there is a bill going forward this year that will eliminate that, that foreign corporations will not be able to buy more. Well, I'm sure glad to hear that. I, I just, uh, I, I know that's a necessity because as foreign countries start to buy up the United States land, uh, that's given them the chokehold on us. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to keep our land in American hands so that we can take care of it and develop it and give our next generations the right opportunities. And, you know, uh, you asked me if there was anything else. I, I did want to add this. I, I have an article that was sent to me today, and, and, and it, it was listed out. It says, meat packers' profit margins jumped by 300%. Oh during the pandemic. And I looked at that and I said, you know, I, I knew it was high, but I didn't realize it was quite that high. 
So that tells you how tilted the table is against the producer. And we got to make sure that these things are identified and then fixed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 300%. Wow. And, you know, I've been talking to restaurant people, and they're just barely hanging on, trying to find new ways to, to make their businesses work and to have these corporations just pounce on it, an opportunity like that. It's yes. Just, it's difficult. I agree. I agree 100%. <laughs> and, I mean, it's not just in agriculture. You know, the it's probably in, in a lot of other sectors also, but I know today we were talking about beef and, and how the sticker prices is so high at the grocery store and, and where that money uh, is going. And it, it's not in the hands of the producers. It's very little ends up there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jeff Jones, for your time. I really appreciate You're it. You're very welcome, Margo. Thanks for having me. And you have been listening to a podcast, a rebroadcast of a radio program, Farm and Fiddle, that was first aired on January 12th, 2022, an interview with cattleman Jeff Jones from Callaway County, Missouri. Farm and Fiddle is a production of KOPN 89.5 FM radio in mid-Missouri and on the web at kopn.org. I'm Margot McMillan, and the tune you hear just underneath my voice is Beaumont Rag, played by Nettie Vaughn on her Toonsville CD.